What does it take to be extraordinary? What does it take to leave a lasting legacy? Now, that might be different for each person in the sphere and responsibilities that you have in your life. You probably want to be an extraordinary mom. You might be in the midst of university and you want to be an extraordinary student. You're looking towards uh, a great career. Or maybe you're already there and you want to you be a founder or uh, you want to develop and grow your own business. Whether you're an academic, a founder, an innovator, or an athlete, what does it take? Now, most of the people that you'd see in these type of worlds would say, well, you know, really, it's basically down to two things. God-given talent, work ethic. But not every one of us can be Elon Musk, or not all of us can be LeBron James and get their own movie that's called, actually, Space Jam Legacy. But we all want to be extraordinary to some degree. We all want to leave some kind of lasting legacy. Yet, even with all the talent and all the work ethic, a lot of happens that's outside of our control, isn't it? There's honest daily concerns. There's dishonest mistreatment from others. We live in a chaos of our broken world that sometimes make our shiny aspirations rust out and not become what we want them to be. As followers of Jesus Christ, God has called us to live Uh, extraordinary lives that leave a lasting legacy, yet not for our own name, but for the name of God, for God who makes all things right, for God who makes all things new, for God who changes lives that don't just impact a few decades here and now, but leaves a legacy for eternity in the souls of people. That's the type of legacy, that's the type of extraordinary life that God is calling us to, And we see a life lived in this way through Joshua chapter 2. Today in Joshua chapter 2, we meet two spies. We don't know their names. God promised to the people of Israel that he would give them the land of Canaan. And in that land, Israel would dwell secure there and they would worship him there. They would have security and joy that should have lasted for forever. They were on the cusp of being able to get into the land, and they needed to take it by conquest. So the military leader of Israel at that time, Joshua, sends two nameless spies into Jericho to try and scout out the first city that they need to conquer, Jericho. But we find really quickly they're going to need help. And while these two Spies are nameless. We learn the name of another person, an unlikely person, who shouldn't seem to have a past and a name and a reputation that would be extraordinary, but someone whom God would use to do an extraordinary thing and leave a lasting legacy. I hope this message is encouragement to you. God can use us to help others in extraordinary ways, but you don't need to be an extraordinary person. The extraordinary help that God gives often comes from unlikely people, and he can use you. Now, this isn't the first time that God sent spies into the land of Canaan. Actually, this happened before in Numbers 13. So when um, a Jewish reader is reading Um, about his 
um, national heritage, and he knows that spies went before, and he's hearing spies went ag- going again. He's like, ooh, it didn't work out well last time. In Numbers 13, God sent 12 spies into Canaan. You might know the song from Sunday school if you're a little bit older. Ten were bad and two were good, right? They went into Canaan and they were supposed to see, is this a good land? Can we take it? And ten came back and they were like, it's a great land, but like, we can't take it. The people are too big. We won't win the conquest. And the people were so disheartened the first time spies went into the land of Canaan that that they were like, well, you know what? Thanks, God. Thanks for taking us out of slavery into the wilderness. And thanks for taking us into a land where we're just going to be killed. You know what, God? Let's just go back to Egypt where we're going to be slaves again because that's going to be better. That was my whiny teenager impression. I hope it came across like that, right? But as a result of that moment, God was like, all right, you don't want me to be your God? This generation, you're going to die in the wilderness. You're going to wander for 40 years and you're never going to see this land of promise, but your children will. So they old generation has died. The new generation has come. But now they're sending spies again and again, and they're probably a little jittery. Will they fail again, or will they finally succeed? And what we see is right off the bat, not looking very good for them. Let's look to the text, all right? Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. It was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men whom have come to you who have entered in your house, for they have come to search out the land. All right. I'm not a spy. I've never been in espionage, but I'm pretty sure the number one rule of being a spy is don't be found out. They get into the city, and what happens? They're immediately found out. There's reason to be skeptical. Will they fail? Will they succeed? It's not looking good. But these guys are pretty useless. Thankfully, the king himself is pretty foolish. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them under the stalks of of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So the spies were pretty useless. Thankfully, the king and his security team were pretty foolish. They know and have reliable intelligence that the spies have entered this home. They go to the home, talk to the landlord, and the landlord's like, like oh, okay, all right, well, let's go out and follow. They didn't even like go in and search the house where they had reliable intelligence that the spies were there. Pretty foolish. Useless spies, foolish king, but... We are now introduced to another individual, an unlikely individual, who God uses in an extraordinary way to accomplish his will. Rahab, the prostitute. Extraordinary help from God came from the faith 
of an unlikely person. Rahab. Let's learn a little bit more about Rahab. When it says that the spies came to Rahab's house and it says they lodged there, this could mean that her house was a hostel. You know, maybe you've gone backpacking through Europe. You know what a hostel is, right? Cheap, short-term uh, hotel with a common space where you could buy food. People are in or out. It's really just for travelers. That was probably Rahab's house. So she was likely a landlord, but also as a prostitute for people who came to her home. They didn't just come for lodging. They also came for her other unique services. It was a hostel. It was also a brothel. And it was likely a well-known place. A lot of foot traffic in and out. So, for the king and his security team who hears that spies are in, it's very logical that they're going to think, ah, let's go to the place where we know travelers usually would go. That would be a good place, a hostel to hide, if you want to be found out. But these spies are pretty useless and are immediately found out. But, while the spies were useless, the king was foolish, Rahab was clever. The spies were not able to conceal their identity. Rahab was able to conceal their identity. She quickly acted to hide them on her roof. And on her roof, she didn't have like clay tiles. She didn't have like wood panels. And she had this makeshift roof of like bundles of flax that were laid in order. And she was able to conceal them. She was clever. She was cunning. The king's security team interrogated her about the spies. She said enough to make herself sound believable, but she withheld enough to make sure the spies' lives would be preserved. We'll get to the why in a minute. But a couple things to understand here. Because, see, I'm telling us that God's word is saying that God used Rahab in extraordinary ways. But like, at first glance, she was like, yeah, but didn't she like lie? How can God use that? Or a couple of brief things to understand about this. Because there's an honest tension here. First, the Bible is not prescribing what you should do in a circumstance like this. It's describing what Rahab did in a very rare and unique circumstance. Secondly, the Bible never affirms that a lie is a good thing. The God who would save her was the same God who delivered the Ten Commandments to Israel, and one of them was, you shall not bear false witness. You shall not lie. But third, also understand that none of us who are saved, none by our works, none of us are justified by our works, Rahab would be saved, but she wasn't saved by her righteousness, nor would she be excluded from salvation because of her unrighteousness. She would be saved because of her faith. Fourth and most importantly, when the Bible remembers Rahab, it does not remember her as a pagan, foreign, part-time landlord, part-time prostitute. It remembers her as an unlikely yet honorable woman of faith that God wants all of us to emulate. And when we do, God can use unlikely people like us to do extraordinary things for his glory. Now, Rahab's name at first did not carry a very good reputation with it. 
And you may feel yourself that because of your past, things done to you or things that you've done, that you carry a burden and a weight and a reputation that makes you feel like God can never use you. The good news, friend, is that God's ability to use you doesn't depend upon what you've done, what was done to you, or what you carry in your past. Your past and your reputation does not limit the extraordinary things that God's redeeming grace can do in you and through you. The extraordinary help that God gives often comes from unlikely people and nothing can disqualify you from being a tool in the hand of the master. Faith is all that's required. Rahab had it. So let's look now at the quality of Rahab's faith. How God used this unlikely person to do extraordinary things. There's three features of her faith that I want to be able to highlight. And we see them in verse 8 to verse 14. Let's look there. Before the men laid down, she came up to them on the roof. Okay, pause for a minute. So this is kind of like chronologically. Verse 8 to 15 kind of fits right after verse uh, 2. After she hid them, she went, goes and has this conversation from verse 8 to verse 14, and then she goes back down and talks with the king. All right, okay, verse 9. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, remember those names, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me that by the Lord, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Remarkable faith that Rahab expresses right here. Three features of Rahab's faith that we can emulate, and God can do extraordinary things through unlikely people like us. First aspect that I love, Rahab's faith was simple. It was a simple faith. She says and describes what she knows about God from what she's heard about God. Then she says what the people, how they respond to what they've heard, and then, but then she describes how she responds to what she's heard. Rahab and the rest of the city heard about what God had done for his chosen people. They heard how the Lord triumphed over Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. When the Red Sea was parted, the people of God walked through, and then the waves came crashing down and destroyed the king of Pharaoh and all of his army. She heard about the kings Og and Sihon, the two kings of Amorites, and how they tried to oppose the people of God, but God triumphed over them as well. When Rahab and the rest of the city heard this, all of them were terrified. But the king himself, representing the uh, city of Jericho, he wanted to fight back. 
Rahab, though, on the other hand, didn't want to fight back. She wanted to join up. The difference came down to her faith. She wanted to help the spies because of her faith. So what was her simple faith that she believed? Two things. She believed that the Lord had given the land, her land of her people, into the hands of the Israelite people as God promised. She believed the Lord had given the land into their hands as he promised, and she believed that the Lord himself was the only true God in all of heaven or in all of earth. These two confessions of faith represented her conversion from being a worshiper of false gods and idols to becoming a true worshiper of the one living God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. Let me show you how significant this is for her. Because this is like the stake in the ground moment for a Christian today. This is like the faith that moves us towards baptism in the church today. This was her conversion. Let me show you how significant of a change it was. She believed that the Lord was the only God of heaven and earth. This is pretty big. Because in the land of Canaan, it wasn't a unified country. You know, like Egypt had a unified country and monarch and religion, or like Assyria or Babylon had a unified country, monarch, religion. Canaan was, had a lot of like independent cities, independent governments, independent religions. And each of their independent city religions worshipped some kind of like localized god that had control over some like local authority. In Canaan, there was a god for the sun, there was a god for the sea, there was a god for the rain. And it was likely that in Jericho, one of these localized gods would have been worshipped as well. But Rahab hears that the God of Israel triumphed over the king of Egypt and the localized gods of that land. And that the God of Israel triumphed over the kings of the Amorites and the localized gods of those lands. And seeing the, the conquest and the triumph of the Lord over these other lands and over these localized gods, she believes that all of these gods that they worshipped and all of these gods that I worshipped are inferior. And this God, the Lord, Yahweh, he is the true and only God in all of the heavens and all of the earth. This is huge for her. Rahab was an unlikely person, but she could give extraordinary help that leaves a lasting legacy because of her simple faith. All right, now think about your own life. Maybe you see yourself in Rahab a little bit. Someone who's ashamed of what you've done or what's been done to you or the reputation you've built up. And maybe you think about your walk with Christ and you say, like, well, I don't really feel like I'm anyone important or anyone who could be used of God. God can use you in extraordinary ways, but we often focus on the things that might limit us. Your age is not a limit to God. Your singleness is not a limit to God. Your recent baptism and young faith is not a limit to God. Your job and your finances are not a limit to God. Your past is not a limit to God. 
Okay, well, you might think, well, I don't really know that much. I've never really been trained in the Bible like some people know the Bible. Neither did Rahab. Her two confessions of faith that the Lord had delivered the hand into Israel and that the Lord was God in heaven and earth, these two simple statements were actually parts of a much larger confession of faith with much more complex detail found in Deuteronomy 4 and Deuteronomy 6. She didn't know the complexity of the Abrahamic covenant and all that God had promised to deliver to uh, the people of Israel, but she believed simple faith. She didn't know the complexity of the nature of God and his holiness, and, but she knew that he was God of heaven and earth. Do you have simple faith? Believe. God is the only true living God. He is holy, and he created you to enjoy him. Believe that you've fallen short of all God wants for you as a human being, and that apart from his redeeming graces, you will be lost. Believe that Jesus Christ is the perfect human and is himself the Son of God, who fulfilled everything God required of you yet willingly suffered everything in your place. Believe that it's enough and you will be restored to relationship with God and the spirit of God himself will dwell with you. And now all that God wants to do in the world, he can do through you. Believe like he promised to Joshua and the nation of Israel that he will never leave you or forsake you and that he sent you as as his ambassador. Extraordinary help, extraordinary legacy doesn't mean that you yourself need some extraordinary quality about you. It's not about your limits. It's not about your strengths. It's about your faith in the limitless one who can use you for his name. Her simple faith gave her a strength and a courage to do what the spies couldn't and to stand up to a king. Her faith was simple, and here's the second quality of her faith. Her faith was loyal. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 133, excuse me, Psalm 136 for a moment. This is going to be helpful to understand the quality of her faith. See, Rahab describes what she did to the messengers, to the spies, as an act of kindness. She dealt kindly with them, and in return, she asked that they would deal kindly with her, and save her and her household and deliver them alive. The spies agree with her that, yes, this act of cunning and cleverness, this was a kindness to them. But this word kindness that's in the text is not the type of kindness that you're probably thinking, right? Uh, Taking care of your siblings' chores when they forget so that they won't get in trouble with mom and dad, that's kind, right? Uh, Sharing the the loony that you use for your grocery cart with someone who forgot their loony when they got to the grocery store. That's kind, right? Getting your takeout and delivery directly through the restaurant and living a large tip instead of buying it through a delivery app that actually costs more for the restaurant, that's kind, right? Okay, this kindness that 
Rahab showed to the spies was way more than that type of kindness. Psalm 133 shows us the type of kindness that she showed. Let's look at verse 13. It'll be on the screen. To him who divided the sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever and made Israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, remember that name? For his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to his people, to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. What word is repeated a lot in there? Tell me. His steadfast love, right? Israel's history, uh, overcoming uh, the king of Egypt, like Rahab recognized, overcoming the two kings of the Amorites, like Rahab recognized, their entire history was woven together through God's steadfast love. Now, while it's translated steadfast love here, when Rachel, excuse me, Rahab describes what she did as kindness in Joshua 2, it's the same original word that we see steadfast love here. Kindness that she showed was reflective of the unique, unfailing, loyal, steadfast, enduring love that God has promised to his people Israel and to the church that God has secured through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A loyal love, an unfailing love, a never-leaving love, a committed love. What Rahab did there, her cunning, her cleverness, was an unfailing, loyal love. Renouncing and even betraying her own countrymen so that she could exclusively and wholly and only have God the Lord himself. That's the type of faith that the Lord uses. But that type of faith comes with a cost. See, see, lying to the king wasn't the worst thing that she did. She didn't just lie to the king. She condemned the king and all her countrymen. She, she had saving faith. And I'm confident that if the king and the rest of the country did, that they would have been saved too. Think about Jonah in Nineveh. Nineveh was a horrible city. Jonah came and preached a message to it. And even though they were a horrendously horrible city, because they repented, they were saved. I'm convinced that if the king of Jericho did the same, he would have been saved as well. But he didn't. So if Rahab was going to be saved, she needed to renounce, betray, and condemn her own countrymen. But it was out of love for the one that she believed would give her life. She knew she could not be a part of the community of Yahweh if she was still a citizen of Jericho. Jericho had to fall. Christian, you cannot be a citizen of the kingdom and still live in the walls of this world that hates the Lord. Praise the Lord. It needs to fall. So you need to ask yourself, 
Is your loyalty split? God promised to the nation of Israel security, a land where you can dwell in safely. He promised them joy. You can worship me here and I will provide all of your needs, security and joy. But we will often look for these same promises and things that we can find ourselves. We look for security and joy in our job, in our social circles, through our dreams of retirement and financial security. We look through it in our health. We look for it in our kids' future. None of these things in themselves are bad. But when these good, these good things become bad things, when we expect them to give what only God can give to us, does the Lord command your highest loyalty or is your allegiance split? Let the walls crumble down. That's the type of loyal love that God uses. And it's a loyal love that he has first shown to us through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, The love of Christ controls us. Why? Because we've concluded this, that one Christ has died for all, therefore all have died. If you are in Christ, you have died to the world. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, dead to the world. Condemn it, betray it. Because your life is hidden with Christ in God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So now, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Whatever security and joy you want from the world, you will never find. But the loyal love that God has shown to you, he wants you to show back. Rahab's faith was simple. It was loyal. And here's the third quality of it. It was merciful. See, true faith, true love, true mercy, the love that God has shown to us, like the sun to the moon, should naturally reflect into others. Think of, uh, think of water flowing down multiple levels of a waterfall. Flowing water cascades. It continually goes down and down and fills over and over. True faith never pools into a, a cistern. It always has an outlet and cascades down and down and over and over. And to the one who has true faith, mercy, compassion and kindness to others will overflow to those around you. She had a simple faith, a loyal faith, and a merciful faith. See, after she expressed her faith to these spies, while she let them down a rope, and then they make this verbal agreement. In return for the loyal love shown to the Lord, these spies made a verbal contract with Rahab and swore it on their own lives. Now, Rahab wasn't just thinking of saving her own skin. She wanted to see her family saved as well. And her family would be saved under three conditions. Number one, she had to hang a scarlet cord out her window to identify it. All her family had to gather into her house when they came for conquest, and she had to keep everything confidential that the spies did. I mean, kind of necessary to do that because they already failed it already, right? But her 
faith here, her obedience here to keep this verbal contract actually reflects and reminds me of what Jesus did for us. Her one act of obedience led to salvation for her family. Christ's one act of obedience led to salvation for us. She wasn't just thinking of herself. She mercifully was thinking of others. Now, some religions require acts of mercy as a duty, donations to the poor. These things are required for salvation. And frankly, this makes a lot of people in our culture very skeptical about religion because they look at these like requirements for duty and mercy and giving to the poor and showing compassion, and they recognize rightly that like you're making a thing that should be a selfless thing into an even more selfish thing because you're only giving for your own good purposes. That's not the Christian faith. Blessed are the merciful, for they will, shall receive mercy, Scripture says. Our salvation is not contingent on our works, on what we do to others. For you are saved by grace through faith. It is not of your own doing so that no one may boast. But now you are Christ's workmanship, created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The natural outflow, cascading down of true faith, is that we will show mercy to others. God help us to be a merciful church. Because when the water doesn't cascade down, it only pools in, then it grows bacteria and algae, and then it's deadly. And this is why religion can be so distasteful to the world around us. But true faith that God uses to do extraordinary things doesn't pool together, it cascades out. Her family benefited from her faith. And they would have been lost without her simple, loyal, merciful faith. And so finally we see in Joshua 2, these men return to their commander and give a report of their espionage. Let's look at the text together. In chapter 2, verse 22. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given the land into our hands. Also, the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. That report was nearly word for word the exact same thing that they received from a foreign half-time landlord, half-time prostitute. They succeeded through the extraordinary faith of an unlikely person. And this is my encouragement from God's word for you today. God chooses unlikely people to do extraordinary things and leave a lasting legacy. When we think about legacy, we often think about how do we want to be remembered. Uh, sorrowfully, over the past like couple months, there have been three or four young people in our church or associated with our church, like under 25, 26 years old, who have passed. It was at a funeral of one yesterday. And usually we don't think about legacy until a time like this. When we think about legacy, we ask, how do we want to be remembered? But something someone told me once, legacy is not so much about remembering the past, but how your present choices shape your future reputation.
present choices. So if your story ended today, what would your legacy be? Rahab had a legacy of redemption. After she was saved, she was no longer a citizen of Jericho, but was welcomed into the community of God's people. She had a legacy of faith and works. In the book of James and in Hebrews, her act of loyal faith is honored alongside Abraham, the one who is often called the father of faith. But most remarkably, Rahab had a legacy of grace. This foreign prostitute is seen in Matthew chapter 1. Rahab is a family ancestor of Jesus Christ himself. So if your story ended today, what would your legacy be? Like Rahab, you might not carry the reputation that you would want to have. Your past, what's been done to you or what you've done. None of these things limit the extraordinary things that God can do in you and through you by his redeeming grace. God chooses unlikely things to do extraordinary, unlikely people to do extraordinary things that leaves a lasting legacy. And it's not by talent, it's not by work ethic. It's by simple, loyal, merciful faith anchored in an extraordinary God. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Father, thank you that you are a redeeming God. Thank you that you are a gracious God. Thank you, Father, that in Christ Jesus, you have forgiven us, you have restored us in a relationship with you, and you have given us your Holy Spirit. And Christ said that through the church, greater things than these will you do, because I am going to the Father. What a thought, Lord God, that Jesus believed that by giving us his Holy Spirit, and by him going back to the Father, that even greater things would be done by his people through his Spirit, Lord God, would you use us for greater things? Would you use us to be vehicles of mercy and justice to those around us? Would you use us to shine the light of your grace to those who are lost so that their lives might be transformed, so that they might know and realize the dignity that they have as people created in God's image, the peace they can have through the gospel, and the purpose they can have when they are united with him, Lord God, thank you that you would use people like us. Help us to embrace an identity of being unlikely. Help us not to boast in talent or name or work ethic, but to boast in you alone. Help us, Lord God, to embrace simple, loyal, merciful faith. And would you do extraordinary things for your namesake in and through our church. In Jesus' name.